You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Well, if I were to ask you uh, for your list of the top ten gifts that God has given to his people, what would make your cut? Number one, I think for all of us, would be Jesus, the gift of Jesus Christ. And then we would say the Holy Spirit and salvation would likely be on the list. Maybe things like like, um, mission or spiritual gifts, purpose. For the longest time, I said if I could sum up what salvation means to me in one word, it would be purpose. I went from having no purpose when I was 18 years old to, to having ultimate purpose the next day. But over time, I began to realize that even purpose and mission can very much be about myself. But you get the idea. What are God's greatest gifts to us? I I wonder how many would find a place on their list for the gift of repentance. Acts 11 18, 2 Timothy 2.25, both talk about God granting repentance. And the, and the idea or the, the, the meaning of the word is giving the gift of repentance. The first of Martin Luther's 95 Theses says, When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, Repent, in Matthew 4.17, He willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. Now think of how significant this is. The very first words, the first words that sparked the Protestant Reformation reminded us that repentance is an ongoing practice for believers until they die. Have you ever thought of repentance as a gift? Most of us, Think of repentance as something to do in order to gain God's favor. But there is something in most all of us that wants to confess, isn't it? I mean, when you see people who have committed a crime, and even if they've been exonerated from that crime in a court of law, you just always feel like they're getting ready to confess what they did. Uh, We see confession being played out every day in our land, but we we need to make sure that our confession is driven by the conviction of the Holy Spirit and not a self-serving gesture to be culturally approved. Now, look, I am not, in saying that, belittling the power of confession. There is great power in confession as long as it is biblically directed. The theme for this summer's sermons is conformed to the image of God's Son, Jesus. Taken from Romans 8, 29. Already, you've heard a whole lot. I I just, one thing after another that was being said, I was like, that's perfect. That's perfect for the the text that we're going to be reading. Ricky Lee and Jeff Kelly have delivered excellent sermons. And we anticipate the same from David Calvert next week. I'm going to be preaching every other week. Uh, And then we're going to start that same rotation after next week. Uh, There are multiple ways that God transforms us into the image of his son. And repentance of our sins is a key component of our walk with Jesus. 
since the Bible is telling one story in two parts rather than two separate stories, it is appropriate that we look to Psalm 51 this morning as a guide for the practice of repentance, which is the process that the Lord used to conform us to the image of His Son. Of, of, uh, his son. Some of you will know the cause. In fact, if you've you got your Bible open, you'll see right off the bat that this psalm was written in response to Nathan coming into David after he had gone into Bathsheba. The, the cause of David's deep and anguished confession was that here is a man, this man who was known as the sweet psalmist of Israel. To this day, he's known as the sweet psalmist of Israel. And a man after God's own heart, not only committed adultery with Bathsheba, which she may or may not have had part in that, in, in that arrangement. Perhaps she was intentionally tempting David, or perhaps he just uses power when he saw her to say, hey, bring this lady to me. We don't know what the details were. But they committed adultery. When David learned that Bathsheba was pregnant, he conspired to have her husband, Uriah, murdered to cover the affair. And yet, David is known as a man after God's own heart. We accept that without much contemplation. Our familiarity with the story mitigates the enormity, though, of God's grace in David's repentant, repentance. When at God's direction, Nathan the prophet confronted the king with his sin, David cried out to the Lord and expressed his repentance in Psalm 51. I will work through the text, making a few comments along the way, then concluding with a few thoughts. Before we get to the text, though, Let's pray. Our Father, we ask that you would open our hearts to the truth of your word. And that all of our <laughs> preconceived notions about coming to Psalm 51 would be set aside so that we can hear directly from you. There's difficult news and there is wonderful news in this psalm. Speak to us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. I don't recall ever preaching a message, a sermon from Psalm 51, and I don't know why it is. Uh, Derek Kidner skillfully identified the richness of the gift of repentance in his powerful commentary on the Psalms. And should you choose to purchase Kidner's two-volume set on the Psalms, I'm going to guess that those two little books will become one of your most treasured possessions. For years, I wouldn't use Kidner's commentaries on the Psalms because I would think, how can you say anything of value in that little bit? We well, can say more in a paragraph than I can say in the entire sermon. It, it, it's really wonderful Stuff And to save time this morning, I'm not going to reference Kidner every time I'm borrowing uh, from his wisdom, but just know that I am indeed borrowing from him. Psalm 51, verses 1 to 3. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. 
Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. You ever felt like that? Ever prayed like that? To say that David's conscience was smitten with conviction when God's word revealed his sin to him through the prophet Nathan would be an understatement. David's immediate appeal was to God's hesed or his steadfast love. According to Michael Card, the Hebrew word hesed, which is a covenant word, is when the person from whom I have a right to expect nothing gives me everything. The person from whom I have a right to expect nothing gives me everything. When that happens, that's God's steadfast love, his mercy, his loving kindness. It's translated so many ways in the Old Testament. David had no interest in seeking to justify himself or to explain his sin. Notice how he took full responsibility for his sin five times in the first three verses, saying, God, cleanse me from my sin, my transgressions, my iniquity. Thankfully, God's mercy was and is in abundant supply for the repentant soul. Verse 4, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may just be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Just struck me just now reading this text. How many times people say, well, that's a little harsh, isn't it? You Christians say that God expects this, this, and this. That's a little harsh. No. David said, sooner or later, you're always justified in what you say. When David stated that his sin was against God alone, he wasn't shirking responsibility for his sins. It's not that he didn't need to apologize to anybody else or confess to anybody else. But rather, he was recognizing that sin is more than anything else an offense against a holy creator, God. David moved quickly from, how can I cover my sins? To, how can I do such a thing against God who does only good for me? Verse 5 <clears throat> Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. David was not saying his birth was a result of a sinful relationship, but rather he was acknowledging the stain on his character that all humans inherited from Adam, the stain of a sinful nature. David's confession of his sin makes his acknowledgement of God's character in verse 6 even more startling. He's just saying, I've, I've done this horrible thing. And then he says, behold, you delight in truth in the inward being. And you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Immediately following David's acknowledgement of his own sin, he gave testimony to God's holiness and his exacting standard for his children. In verses 7 and 9, it becomes clear that David was, not, once again, not looking. He, he wasn't interested in a half-hearted confession, and he wasn't looking for half-hearted help. Verse 7, purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. In fact, the way these verses are written in the Hebrew, it's more of a future uh, <clears throat> tense 
than it is uh, a, a request or an, a command for God to do this. He's saying, you will purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. You will wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. That's a good prayer. Verses 10 to 12 elucidate the beauty of God's gift of repentance. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. In asking God, to create in him a clean heart. David was asking for nothing less than a miracle because only God can create. His concern in verse 11 was not that God leave him, or, or his concern was that God not leave him like he had left Saul. As Kidner says about David's prayer for God not to take his Holy Spirit from him, David was not concerned with the base doctrine of perseverance or eternal security. He just wanted, that wasn't in his mind. He was interested in practicing his relationship with the Lord. David did not take Yahweh's presence in his life for granted. Then restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. And we'll sing in a few minutes, renew a right spirit within me. The remainder of the psalm speaks of the restoration that is available, re restoration of relationship for those who repent of their sins. Verse 13. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will de declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. That's a great promise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings, and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. So, Five truths, I promise these will go quickly, and their implications found in Psalm 21. Beginning with, we are all susceptible to grievous sin. And make no mistake, there are consequences for our sin. 2 Samuel 12, 7 to 12 and 14 to 15. 
What surprises us most is that a man after God's own heart could commit the sins that David did. We could almost say, okay, I get in a weak moment you had this affair, but to kill a man to cover it up, really, David, you could do such a thing? But why does it shock us? As Neil quoted from Robert Murray McShane, the seed of every sin lies within my heart. I have the potential to commit any sin. We say that we're all capable of any sin, but once again, I don't think we believe it because we think ourselves above it, incapable of such behavior. Now, do not misunderstand. I've always, you, you just have to balance all of this. People say, oh, don't say you'll never commit adultery because that'll be a big temptation for you. Why do we pledge our faithfulness to one another at our weddings? There's a reason that we do that. And we absolutely, don't you go walking around thinking, boy, I hope I don't <coughs> fall into being unfaithful this week or I hope I don't fall into sexual sin. No, you take a stand and ask the Lord to help you. But don't allow your heart to ever become proud. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. He that thinks he's... Be careful because the one who thinks he stands may fall, lest you fall. So, look, you may not give in to this temptation or to that temptation. But you have a weakness. We all have a weakness or a blind spot. We've got weaknesses we don't even know about. And Satan would love to blindside you. What were those commercials? Probably an insurance commercial where a guy would be standing there and a football player would come and knock him over. He's in the office and just get knocked over. That's what Satan loves to do us. Imagine, you can fall into sin and you never even saw it coming. Satan has hit you like that. And there may be consequences for your sin. Which is why we must lean hard into the truth of the second point. The mercy of God is the only remedy for our condition and for our sinful actions. Psalm 51, 1-2 and then verses 7-12. through 12. If you are a believer, then when I say that all humans inherited the sin nature that Adam assumed when he sinned, and when I say that you can never throw off that sin nature so that you can stand before God without Him destroying you. You can't be good enough to stand in His presence. Well, you already know this. You also know that the only thing that could be done about our sin was for the Father to send the Son, to send Jesus to live without sin and to die as an acceptable sacrifice for our sins. When we repent of our sins and believe that Jesus died in our place, well, then we are his children. What happens when believers sin, as we all do? We confess our sins, and he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We know all this. And if you've never trusted Christ, may I encourage you to do so. Do not let this day, do not let this morning go by until you call out and say, Oh God, I know I'm a sinner. And if I, without Jesus, I have no hope. Have mercy upon me, oh God. 
I believe that Jesus died for me. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus, and save me. You don't have to say that, but it may help you just to process it in your heart and mind. Don't let the day go by. As believers, though, sometimes we need the cold water of Psalm 51 to remind us that we are all inclined, I'm sorry, inclined works, right? That's how, how it's spelled, inclined to sin. And we may seek <clears throat> to cover our sin, or it's not so much in our day that we cover our sin, we justify it. And if we can get enough people to say, I'm with you, let's justify that sin, then we feel okay about ourselves. But we are sinful men and women who need God's mercy just as much as David did. In fact, we are hopeless without God's mercy in our lives. Our current times, though, do not naturally lead us to acknowledge our sin. We don't have time. We're so busy acknowledging other people's sin. Right? And feeling really good about it. Righteous. Self-righteous. How do you feel about wearing masks? How do you feel about those whose opinions differ from yours? You know what? <laughs> There's no middle ground on this. Hamilton County, Tennessee. I talked to my friend Roger Russell the other day. <clears throat> Hamilton County, Tennessee. In Chattanooga, where Chattanooga is, did a survey of parents. Will you let your kids keep working online? Will you have your kids go back to school undecided? 47% online, 52% go back to school, 1% undecided. 1%. So the unity that Neil was talking about a while ago is a challenge for us. Well, I went to preach and lost my place. How do you feel about the social and racial issues of our day? How do you feel about those who differ from you? If we are to be under the fall of God's blessings like the fall of rain, we are going to need to accept and practice the truth of our third point. We can say that David was a man after God's own heart because he was willing to say, I have sinned against the Lord. 2 Samuel 12, 13. You may as well accept it, follower of Jesus. You will never achieve perfection in this life. Romans 7, Galatians 5, both teach us that the life of the believer will be a struggle between the spirit and, and the flesh until we draw our last breath. What is so tricky about the flesh is that it likes to imitate the life of Christ, but not with the proper motive in mind at all. Another trick of the flesh is to make you think you are doing so well that you're offended by the suggestion that you have done wrong and that you need to ask forgiveness of God or anyone else. That's a trick of the flesh. So the next time you want to jump on your high horse, just say, now, wait a minute. Is this the Holy Spirit putting me on this horse? Or is it the flesh? 
Not very many of us are good at being honest with ourselves about our sin. Once again, this is not a day to admit you are wrong unless you're doing it to achieve social status. If you force someone to apologize, though, do not assume that he has repented. Not biblical repentance. When the Lord convicts us of sin, though, David's example should encourage us to be more honest with God and with others about our sins. Not less honest, but more honest. How does he encourage us to do so? That's the focus of our fourth point. The believer's life is defined by neither his righteousness nor his sin, but by her identity with Christ. 2 Chronicles 29, verses 10 through 22. I'll put these on, on Faith Life this weekend, by the way, just the, um, the list. 1 Chronicles 29, 10 to 22, and Romans 6, 1 through 11. As I am getting older, I find that I must wrestle against the temptation to cynicism. Why would I become cynical at only 66 years of age? I mean, for my entire adult life, you would think it would be helped that for my entire adult life, I have followed world news with keen interest. That's a joke. Uh, if that won't make you cynical, nothing will. King David lived 1,000 years before Jesus, but he is the closest example of a New Testament-style individual that I find in anywhere in the Old Testament. He prayed to the Lord directly when most offered their prayers through a human representative of the Lord. His relationship with Yahweh in the Psalms seems like that of the Apostle Paul who longed for intimacy with Jesus. David placed all his hope for salvation in the Lord, not in his good works as so many before Jesus did. Even though David could not have understood the significance of his words in Psalm 110, Jesus pointed to verse 1 in defending his deity or in claiming to be God. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. By the way, this is a conclusion I've only come to in the last year or so. I'm not sure the Bible works without the, 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 the seven short verses of Psalm 110. That's all in God's sovereignty. He designed it that way. But if you take Psalm 110 out, you've got much broader gaps. Really, it's only a couple of verses. This first verse and then Melchizedek about being the, a priest after the, the form of Melchizedek. Figure it out. This would be a really good beach study for you, you know, sitting out on the beach. Now, why is it Psalm 10, is so, 110 is so important? There are so many directions to go with this fourth point. I just wanted primarily to direct your attention to 1 Chronicles 29, not to read it now, but for later consideration. <clears throat> at the end of David's life, think about this. At the end of his life, he led 
the people in praise for Yahweh. After all the pain that David had endured at the hands of others because of their sin, and after all the pain that he had inflicted on the people of God because of his own sin, David praised the Lord at the end of his life. He did so because he recognized the glorious truth of this last point. The ways of God are too marvelous for us. And the Lord loved Solomon. 2 Samuel 12, 24-25 How should David's life have gone after his affair and after his murderous attempt to cover his sin or the murder that he used to seek to cover his sin? David's sin messed up a lot of people. We know the story, but we tend not to think too deeply about it because we can't find a place for it in our worldview or social imaginary or our theological constructs. Except that we are all just as guilty as David was before God saved us from our sins. And until the day we see Jesus, we will be just as much in need of his forgiveness day by day for our daily sins as David was because God is holy and we are not. But we are forgiven in Jesus and that's such an encouraging word. I'm going to close by reading 2 Samuel 12 verses 24 to 25 which comes just after Nathan's rebuke of David in the story and after the death of David's son who was born as a result of the affair. 2 Samuel 12, 24 to 25. Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba and went into her and lay with her, and she bore a son, and he called his name Solomon. And the Lord loved him and sent a message by Nathan the prophet. So he called his name Jedidiah because of the Lord. Jedediah means beloved of the Lord. Aren't you glad that God does not leave us in our sins? Rather than condemning us, he gives us the beautiful gift of repentance. So whether you came this morning feeling ashamed of yourself, or perhaps you came wearing the clothes of arrogance, either way, the Lord stands ready to forgive those who will repent. Repentance requires honesty, humility, and trust that God is true to his word. So after our prayer, we're going to sing the words of Psalm 51 together. Create in me a new heart. Let's pray. Father, we confess our unwillingness and our forgetfulness at times of confessing. And we ask that this scripture would burn deep in our hearts and that we would pour out and say, Have mercy on me, O God. My sin is ever before you against you and you only have I sinned and Lord of course there are times we need to confess to others our sin but may we confess to you 
above all. And then create in us a clean heart. Draw us to yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.